Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Lara Marie Shanehalls. And I'm Carrie O'Donnell. And together, we are the hosts of Sexy Unique Podcast, a podcast for geniuses about reality TV, pop culture, and every once in a while, a tangent about 9-11. I mean, it really affected all of us. On Sexy Unique Podcast, we insist on discussing the creme de la creme of reality television. From the current season of Vanderpump Rules to tried and true classics like early seasons of Real Housewives of New Jersey, to underrated gems like VH1's Rock of Love, and even Gallery Girls, we're talking about all of it. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Sexy Unique Podcast now on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts matter. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hey, book lovers. My name is M, and I want to talk about books. And cats. Welcome back, book lovers. So a couple weeks ago, I was planning on doing a readathon where I was going to spend 24 hours just reading. I did one a year ago, and it was a lot of fun, very relaxing, just really kind of a luxurious day. I didn't end up being able to participate on the scheduled day because uh, my dog was sick. We'd lost our cat. Everything was kind of a mess. Um, so I decided that this weekend I was going to do my own readathon. And then that kind of didn't work out. <laughs> Weekends get busy. I have a family. I have a ton of other stuff going on. Sometimes I just don't have the time to read. And sometimes I just don't make the time. Instead, I spent Monday, I started my week with a day of reading. I did some other stuff here and there, but I mostly just focused on reading the book that I want to talk about today, and it was a fantastic day. I definitely needed to stretch afterwards because if you're a reader, you understand the constant position switching, trying to stay comfortable, and if you spend a whole day doing that, things get kind of creaky. <laughs> but I just could not put down the book that I was reading and it just kind of worked out that I was able to do it. So I finally got to do my readathon. I guess it's not really, but I did read for most of the day and I needed it. It was a really good day <laughs> and a really good book. So today I want to talk about Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Boulet. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right. I'm going to try my best with pronunciations in this episode, so bear with me. <laughs> So first about the author, she is an enrolled member of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians, and she writes about her Ojibwe community in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. 
I've always, for some reason, been drawn to books that take place in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I find that area kind of fascinating, and I would honestly love to visit it. It's on my list. (laughs) Anyway, this is her debut novel, and honestly, we need more books like this. This is a beautiful book that weaves the old ways with new realities, the struggles and joys of the people in the community, and how a community can either hold their people up or tear them down. Mixed in with all of that is also an intriguing tale of a recent high school graduate named Donis Fontaine, who is kind of balancing two worlds. She never really feels like she fits into either of them. She is not recognized as a member of the tribe because her father was not listed on her birth certificate, and then her white family members also do not really accept the Indian parts of her. So she kind of doesn't feel like she has a place or a meaning when we first meet her. She's a great character, too. I I love a strong female character, and I love the ones that don't make the standard choices and actually have boundaries and actually take care of themselves and make decisions that are healthy. I just love that. There wasn't a lot of that when I was growing up, and it makes me really happy that there are books like this. This is also a young adult novel. I don't know if I mentioned that. It is intense for a young adult novel, let me tell you. But we'll get there. Anyway. (laughs) Tragedy after tragedy begins to rock her community, and Donis ends up pulled into an FBI investigation, as well as the dangerous world of drugs and organized crime. And she's 18. (laughs) Now she has to do whatever she can to protect the people and the community that she loves, even if she ends up having to sacrifice everything. So like I said, there is a lot in this book. It is honest and very confronting. The ending, honestly, is not entirely wrapped up neatly because life never is. And I really love an ending like that. Just something a little more realistic, not so perfect and wrapped up in a bow, even though it could have been had she chose to go that direction. So glad she didn't. (laughs) And at the center of this whole book is women, family, the generations of love and support and motherhood, and just community. Lately, every book I read just keeps rubbing salt in an old, old wound, but the unity of the women in this book is just beautiful. It transcends even death, and it's just an incredible, powerful end to this story. I have always been fascinated by different cultures, especially ones with, especially ones that have deep connections to nature and the universe. I absolutely loved the glimpses that we got into that world, and I want more books like this. There are also a lot of circumstances that are shocking and upsetting and horribly real and true. Things that need to be discussed more, like the disappearances, rapes, and murders of women that go uninvestigated because somehow they're considered less important. Some of this stuff is really heavy, and it's currently still happening in real life, and it's pretty messed up. And this book does not pull any punches when it comes to that stuff. And 
I think that's good. I think that we need more of that. The world is really hard on women, especially non-white women. And this story is a mix of the harsh realities of life and also how women are also the center of everything. They're the center of the world, community, family. And honestly, there's more hope than despair in this book. It's kind of the central theme. Hope lifts us all, and it is always present, no matter the struggles that are facing us at the time. I just adored this book, and I highly recommend Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. Now, as far as cats go, I found a cute little YouTube video called What Cats Teach Us About Happiness, A Cat's Philosophy. It's from a creator called Einzelganger. I will link it in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself. It's a quick one. It's only about 13 minutes. It was just really excellent. It starts out kind of just talking about cats and how, unlike human beings, cats just are. While they do have morals and ethics, they don't have this, like, moral code that they have to live up to. They aren't worried that they're failing at being a cat. Cats are just happy being cats. And their default is just kind of happy, relaxed, all good, you know? Whereas humans tend to be worriers, we're anxious, we're always trying to change or improve not only ourselves but the world. We just want things to be different and we want to have control. (laughs) They also talk about how cats are, they're very independent and individualistic and just serene. They don't have trouble being alone like most humans do. They're not really domesticated like dogs. They don't serve us, really. They are helpful sometimes, you know, as company or catching mice or whatever, but they don't really have, like, a purpose the way that, like, dogs have been domesticated to, like, serve human beings and be a part of our existence, whereas cats kind of have their own separate existence and just do their own thing. They have no real need for, like, group identity or acceptance. They're not worried about what the other cats are thinking. All of these things. So it goes on like this for a little while, and it kind of boils down to three points. Things that you should learn about being a human being from cats, I guess. (laughs) Uh, The first is never try to convince people to behave rationally. That is like trying to make a cat vegan, which was another thing that they talked about in the video. There was some philosopher who met a man who was convinced that he had convinced his cat to pick a vegan diet. And what had actually happened is the cat was eating vegan at the house and then would go out and supplement with mice and birds and whatever because he's a cat and he just has this internal thing where he knows he has to have meat. So trying to convince people to behave rationally, first of all, you can't really define rational. I mean, I guess you can to some point, but everybody's going to have a different like place where they're starting from with that. And yeah, it's if it goes against their nature, it's not going to matter. They're just going to do what they inherently need to do. The next point is don't seek meaning in suffering. And this one I think is huge. I know a lot of people who 
kind of have their whole being wrapped up in their problems and their suffering. Not very long ago, I was one of those people. Everything was about how hard my life was and how put upon I was and how sad I was. And I wanted, I just wanted everyone to feel bad for me. And I'm like, what a bummer that is. Like, why did anybody talk to me? That's what I want to know. <laughs> but yeah, don't look for meaning in suffering. Suffering has its purposes, for sure. It can be a lesson. It can be a gift. But it is not your identity. And it is not your reason for existing. And then the final point that they made in the video was to forget about pursuing happiness, and maybe then you'll find it. Because we don't actually know what is going to actually make us happy. We don't actually know what happiness is, like what we're striving for. So it's better to just live your life, do things you enjoy, and that will lead to happiness. I know that over the last couple of years, I have made huge changes. I've done a lot of work. It hasn't all been fun. It hasn't all been easy. It hasn't all brought me happiness, although it kind of all has because everything has added up to this new state of being that I'm in. And I actually know happiness. And I don't know that I've known that for my entire life. Some of you may think that's exaggeration. You're very lucky if you do. You're unlucky if you understand what I'm talking about, and I'm sorry. But we never know. I thought I knew before I did all this work what would make me happy, what kind of life, if I just get this thing, if I just do this thing, whatever it was, I thought that that would all make me happy, and it never did. I was always striving, always trying to reach the next goal, and no matter what I did, it wasn't enough, and it didn't fix the empty that I was feeling on the inside because it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but by doing the work, taking care of myself, figuring out what I needed and what made me feel good, all of those things have added up to actual happiness. So don't pursue it. It'll come to you. You just have to trust. Anyway, my quote of the week also has to do with cats. It's from Charles Bukowski on cats, which I didn't know was a book. And I think I need to order it because it sounds perfect for this podcast. I enjoy Bukowski and it's all about cats. Anyway, here's a quote from him about cats. Having a bunch of cats around is good. If you're feeling bad, just look at the cats. You'll feel better because they know that everything is just as it is. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the cat video that I was watching. Again, I will link to that in the show notes. And now I'm going to take a quick break, and then I will be back with the second chapter of book number two in the Verdant Valley series, Secret Keeper. Be right back. Welcome back, book lovers. So we are just going to continue on with this chapter a week writing project of mine. We are on book number two of the Verdant Valley series. Book two is called Secret Keeper, and we are on chapter two. Enjoy. The magic has turned. Our choices have brought about our own demise. And it is only a matter of time. 
And now there is a child. Or there was. How my sister could choose to make such a sacrifice I cannot comprehend. But she brought me the secret, and I am bound to hold it forever. Kenabora daughter. She gave the girl to save Thea, but it didn't work. Something went awry, but Thea did not return. Still the magic has turned, tarnished by the spilling of so much familial blood. Marina sat on the cliffside stirring her tea. The sun was just cresting the horizon and sending the remains of the storm away. The violent rains halted over her beach all night, and the thunder roared and shook her sturdy home. Mother Nature was trying to cleanse the darkness Rhea had brought with her. Her cousin was brilliant, but too nosy and involved. She had to know everything and meddled in places she did not belong. But sometimes, that meddling brought up something important, like the rising of a powerful evil in the verdant valley. She had to go back. Morena wanted nothing less than to leave her safe, happy coast. But if she didn't, the darkness would spread. It would reach her either way. And if she did nothing, the kind villagers would suffer and perish without a chance to cross the sea. She heard the door open, and Rhea stepped outside. She hesitated, but then Morena heard her steps approaching. Morning, Mar, Rhea said sleepily. Made your decision yet? Marina took one more moment to look at her ocean and take in the salty sea air. Then she sighed heavily and nodded. Yes, I'll go. Rhea nodded back. I knew you would. Marina rolled her eyes. Of course you did. Look, I need to gather some things in town before we go. You wait here, just in case. No one will come here today, Rhea said certainly. Then take a nap, Marina said impatiently. I have to go. I'll be back by dark. Be safe. There may already be some of them here. The dark-hearted ones, Marina said doubtfully. I doubt they've grown that much already. Rhea gave her a look, and Marina relented. Okay, okay. I will be careful. But I'm telling you, these people are kind to a fault. And calm. I'll be fine. Rhea nodded and spread her hands in a gesture of surrender. Morena spun around and stormed away from the cliffs. The walk into town was lovely. Morena moved languidly, taking in the green rolling hills and bright yellow flowers. The sky after the storm was pale blue, with a smattering of clouds. It had taken her so long to find this place, to settle into a home that felt completely her own, to feel safe. She had already fought them once. She'd had no choice then. She was too young to question her orders. She had thought it made her special. How much would she have to give for the family who never knew her, to whom she was still mostly a stranger? Marina paused by her favorite large oak. The path turned into the forest now and emerged near the village center. She cast her gaze back up the steep bank she had descended and wondered if she would see her sweet, safe home again. Would she make it back here? More importantly, would she be able to stay? Rhea's visit was a portent of danger. Morena had followed her blindly before, 
Her disappointment at her newfound family and the shock from battle had left her dazed and numb. She had just wanted to run, and Rhea was leaving the valley. She knew none of them and chose what she did. Sometimes, Marina wondered what would have happened if she had chosen differently. If she had remained in the valley, would the evil still have gone undetected? Would she have been a part of it? She heaved a heavy sigh and followed the path into the woods. Her family was a mess, and apparently she was expected to clean it up. Yada was in her garden cutting flowers and adding them to a bright bouquet that she carried. She smiled brightly when she saw Morena, but the girl's eyes were worried. She seemed so young, only twenty, and as light and free as a fresh summer breeze. Her smile was sunlight. Her eyes were the ocean, and they darkened as Marina approached. Hello, Yada. Miss Morena, is everything all right? Were we supposed to meet today? Marina waved away the girl's concern. No, this visit is spontaneous. Those are never good, Yada said, and gestured with the flowers toward her quaint cottage. Come inside and tell me everything. Yada was a wonderful young woman, and she had been chosen to be Marina's assistant. The rest of the village had feared Marina back then, but Yada was more curious than wary. She was an orphan and considered odd in the village. She was an obvious choice for the position. Marina had grown to enjoy the girls' company, and they met weekly for tea and cake. In addition, Yada was learning the magic of the Death Witch. She was a quick learner and maybe a little too eager. There was always so much more to teach the girl, and she was impatient to be able to do more. To be able to work the magic on her own. Now Marina was thankful the girl was an overachiever, a sponge of knowledge. She knew quite a bit, and Marina trusted her to continue her education, if she didn't return. Yada's brow furrowed. The girl had a gift for knowing, just like Rhea, and Marina did not need to speak. Yada knew it all. You will come back, Marna. I know we will see each other again. She hugged Marina tight. When she pulled back, there were tears on her cheeks. I hate this. I don't want you to go. Marina smiled a grim, tight line. Same. Yada cried then. Marina held her, comforted her. She stroked the girl's hair until she stopped shaking, and her breathing grew even and slowed. Come back to the cottage with me, she said. We have a lot to do. Yada wiped her eyes. They were bright with interest now. I get to meet Rhea? Yeah, Marina grunted as she stepped into the sunshine. I wouldn't get too excited and watch your thoughts around her. Remember what I taught you. Yada nodded, but she was distracted. There was a small smile on her face. She knew many of Rhea's tales, but not all of them. Marina had kept the worst ones to herself. She had thought it was safe to share. She had thought it was over. Now she wished she had been more honest. Yada was not prepared to meet her cousin. Marina had hoped she would never have to be. And that is the end of Chapter 2 of Secret Keeper. I hope you're enjoying this second book in the Verdant Valley series and the second book in my weekly writing project. 
I'm having fun with it. (laughs) That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, book lovers. And until next time, keep reading. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Laura Marie Shanehalls. And I'm Terry O'Donnell. And together, we are the hosts of Sexy Unique Podcast, a podcast for geniuses about reality TV, pop culture, and every once in a while, a tangent about 9-11. I mean, it really affected all of us. On Sexy Unique Podcast, we insist on discussing the creme de la creme of reality television. From the current season of Vanderpump Rules to tried and true classics like early seasons of Real Housewives of New Jersey to underrated gems like VH1's Rock of Love and even Gallery Girls, we're talking about all of it. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Sexy Unique Podcast now on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts matter. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.